This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi there, uh, this is Akash Kumar. I'm an assistant professor of Italian studies at UC Berkeley, and I'm delighted to have with me today Andrea Celli, who's associate professor uh, at the University of Connecticut. And we're here to talk about uh, his book, which came out last year in 2022, Dante and the Mediterranean Comedy, From Muslim Spain to Postcolonial Italy. Uh, Andrea, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited to talk to you and yeah to your audience. Great, thank you. Uh, so I I thought we might start actually just by thinking a little bit about uh, the the topic of the book uh, as well as your own scholarship. Uh, you're someone who's long been interested in Dante and Islam. Uh, and in particular, the work of the Orientalist Enrico Cerulli, uh, who went from serving as an Italian colonial administrator to writing about Dante's Islamic visionary sources. Uh, what do you think such attention to a figure uh, like Cerulli allows for in thinking about Dante and the Mediterranean? And how does this book build from your earlier work? But, uh, thank you for this question. So I, I will I will start from the, the end of your uh, question. So it's... Uh, where where the book uh, was born on, on what kind of uh, scholarship uh, I relied previous experiences and in fact this is a sort of continuation of uh, uh, researches that began in in the early uh, two it was two thousand five I think I published a book that was about uh, the um, uh, school of Arabic studies in Spain. And uh, how in the early 20th century, late uh, 19th century, um, an idea of Middle Ages uh, was, uh, you know, came out uh, of the scholarship of these Arabists like uh, uh, Jose Rivera Tarragó, uh, Asim Palacios, Garcia Gomez, and many others. And... Um, there was uh, my interest in how um, Orientalism um, and medievalism uh, was part of, uh, if you want, nation building, Spanish nation building, 
um, and uh, how um, so scholars, you know, a little bit by reading Edward Said, the classical Orientalism, how scholarship was intertwined with, uh, you know, late colonialism, and uh, but also a strange dynamic that was going on there of uh, uh, dialectic dialectics between Spanish scholars and uh, European scholars on. Uh, what was who was part of the Middle Ages? What were the ingredients, cultural ingredients? Were Muslims, uh, Jews, uh, parts of the European Middle Ages? All that uh, uh, um, dialogue, sometimes very conflictual, was very interesting to me. And so from there, I think uh, uh, there was more generally my interest in in uh, the fascination, if you want, for for Islam as a scholar of that time was uh, Maxime Rodinson would would uh, would call it. So why uh, this fascination of uh, European scholars in the twentieth century uh, for Islam and. Um, and, uh, and then a, almost a decade later, I remember uh, uh, the, the, there are also kind of a autobiographical uh, reflection here, my, my interest in my family roots, Italian colonialism. And so I, I came across by reading Carla Mallet at the time, I remember, uh, I, I came across her approach to, to Enrico Cerulli. Um, which for her is is a, a kind of very a positive figure of scholarship because it, it opens up to, you know, uh, it opens up the interpretation of a major author of the Italian canon that is Dante to uh, these sources coming from. Uh, Muslim Spain from uh, Islam, uh, the, the 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 book of the ladder, Kitab al Miraj, and so on and so forth. Uh, and so uh, there was in me a, a great fascination and interest for that kind of work that was going on in, especially in in, in America at the time. I was in Italy, where all these kind of issues were not very interesting in uh, in the academia where there was not uh, attention for those so I, I, but at the same time i have to admit that, that, that there was also some insatisfaction with the with the way uh the uh, i i thought there was more to say possibly on enrico cerulli and other scholars and uh, uh, regarding their approach to dante their approach to uh, the mediterranean studies um, they, they are a figure like Enrico Cerulli, uh, who, as you said, was a, uh, a, a, a high figure of um, colonial administration, Italian colonial administration in, in, in East Africa, uh, in Ethiopia, in, with uh, very um, problematic uh, uh, responsibilities in how... Uh, Italian colonialism uh, developed in in those in those countries, those lands. Uh, so uh, I, I I I felt that that there was room for working uh, on Cerulli 
and his interest for Danton and Islam, which was a kind of uh, a trope of uh, literary scholarship uh, of the last century, um, uh, starting from Asim Palacios and his book of, you know, Dante and Islam. And um, so why at some point of his career, this scholar, there was mainly a scholar of uh, uh, Somalia, uh, of uh, Ethiopia and Islam. Why? Uh, and at some point of his life, he decided to turn to Dante. And so that that is uh, uh, the beginning of my interest in in, in him. And I wanted to uh, kind of uh, uh, linger and and kind of uh, pay attention to to the uh, problematic uh, aspect of this uh, interest of Ceruli for Dante. No, that's really that's interesting, and I'm you know, I'm particularly interested in what you said about uh, so some of this is is not as interesting in an Italian context as it is in an American one, uh, and yet you're also someone who is who is has a foot in both camps, and so I wonder if you would if you would think a little bit about your uh, your position your placement. Uh, as as a, an Italian scholar who who nonetheless is also uh, taking something from the Anglo-American context and elaborating on it. Yes, uh, um, I have to say that I, I remember when I started uh, being interested in you know the history of scholarship. Basically, um, I felt in Italy at the time uh, very isolated uh, because. Uh, you know, scholarship in the Romance languages, uh, as well as in, you know, uh, um, uh, Islamic studies, was not particularly interested at the time in uh, uh, history of their uh, disciplines, of their fields, in Italy at least. So it was liberating for me realize, to realize, uh, you know, around two, 2000, 2010, that, well, in other parts of the planet, uh, this was uh, a major source of interest or research. And uh, so uh, it was, uh, it was uh, uh, inspiring to discover that, that this could be considered part of uh, uh, doing research. Um, um, at the same time, uh, uh, I felt that uh, um, I- Italian scholarship, uh, as we will see, uh, in, has a uh, keen interest in uh, details, uh, and that could be a very powerful tool to to bring to uh, the table of research. Uh, so in interest, uh, uh, as we will see for microhistory or an interest for, yeah, document documentation and uh, uh, following the threads. Uh, so that this is probably, uh, I'm not sure I'm doing this uh, well, but I, I find inspiration in, in both uh, schools. Uh, nowadays, I think Italy is uh, catching up with the, uh, all this uh, interest in the history of scholarship, ideology and uh, scholarship, uh, um, the past, colonial past of Italy, uh, 
um, and other uh, important issues. But uh, at the time was a little bit like a peripheral uh, work. No, I, I, I very much agree with you. I think there's a lot of progress that's been made on that front. And uh, there there's a lot in Italy now that, that seems to be very much oriented to rethinking uh, some of these fields. So we, we touched on that day in Islam, and you talked a little bit about the long history uh, of, of that question going back to the early 20th century. Uh, you, you also situate this book as, as very much oriented towards the field of Mediterranean studies. And uh, that's something that has been, we might say, uh, you know, at the forefront of things uh, for uh a few decades now, at least, right, for about 30 years or so. Uh, and, and you begin this book with a thought experiment that begin, that imagines two different books uh, by scholars with different but traditionally oriented ideas of the Mediterranean in relation to Dante. Uh, so talk about your approach a little bit. Uh, how does your approach move in a different direction from these hypothetical possibilities? And this is a book that is in part about a history of scholarship. And so what did you get out of this thought experiment and thinking about two different possibilities by scholars and intellectuals of a different formation than your own. Yes. So uh, uh, in one, um, once you uh, had to explain uh, that your book is about Dante and, and the Mediterranean, I guess that m- many readers m- might uh, think of different venues that you could uh, um, uh, uh, follow, uh, and uh, uh, I wanted to address this kind of expectation, like, uh, are you going to talk about uh, how the Mediterranean and its geography uh, is uh, described, dealt, dealt with in the comedy, in the commedia? Um, or are you going to talk about um, the Mediterranean pedigree of uh, the... Commedia and its sources, like you know, the big poems of the antiquity from the Iliad, the Odyssey, or uh, you know, and more recent, more the Islamic um, uh, poems, um, Islamic inspirations. Is is this is it about uh, sources, literary sources? Um, and I wanted to say that, that that was not my main interest. So there could be a disappointment in, uh, in the reader <laughs> that was looking for that. Uh, even though at the same time, I, I, I would be uh, really interested in reading, and there are articles and, uh, and works uh, that uh, are um, showing uh, how the geography of the Mediterranean is uh, treated in the Commedia. And there is a lot of, of work, very important work in, in, in that specific area. My interest was more uh, theoretical, if you want. Uh, um, and uh, yes, uh, there, is, there are decades of uh, uh, debates in, in the Mediterranean studies field. Um, but I was uh, more particularly uh, uh, interested in uh, uh, confronting myself with uh, some questions that the, the work of uh, Horden and uh, Purcell uh, posed to, to literary scholars. There was, uh, the, the question was, 
Well, let's say that the Mediterranean is not about, you know, uh, the um, this sort of uh, uh, positive uh, uh, reconciliatory uh, um, um, geography, um, because all all of that has a as a heritage that is uh, basically colonial. And uh, there is a lot of Orientalism in that imagination of the Mediterranean as the land of olives, olive trees, and, you know, uh, of uh, the sea and uh, the beauty. And, uh, and uh, I was interested in, uh, in, in, uh, in trying to uh, answer the question that they were positing so what shall we do next? If, if uh, 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 talking about the Mediterranean in relation to a, a literary work is not talking about sources, uh, is not talking about the influences or the circulation of mo- motifs or themes, is not about uh, reconstructing uh, connections uh, between a book uh, written in Baghdad and a book written in Spain. Uh, if it's not only that, what is the Mediterranean studies contribution to uh, the literary field uh, about? And uh, yes, yeah, so uh, I was, uh, I tried to take uh, the the title of their book uh, seriously and it was The Corrupting Sea. And this notion of corruption that for me resonated with, um, you know, um, uh, awareness from anthropology, like uh, we are never pure. We are always corrupted uh, subjects because we are in the middle of things and we cannot uh, try to um, kind of uh, cleanse ourselves from uh, the, uh, the, uh, the fact that we are operating in a, a, a corrupted world where, where there are many things and many contradictions. So I, I was interested in, I found that Dante is particularly uh, appropriate to this, to an approach uh, that uh, wants to recognize the ambiguity of um, cultural experiences and uh, and, and poetry, uh, um, um, because uh, um, as as I try to to show in the book, Dante, the, the Divine Comedy, um, portrays a Mediterranean that is a Mediterranean of corruption, is a Mediterranean of conflicts, is not an idyllic. Uh, see, and so that that was my uh, um, my approach to uh, to the Mediterranean studies field. Dante not as a prototype of reconciliation between uh, um, Christianity and Islam, which is a very 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 important um, way uh, of approaching the Divine Comedy. And I'm, I'm I've been a very keen reader of you know uh, Asim Palacios and his uh, works on uh, Christianity and Islam. Um, I'm really interested in the connections between spiritualities and religions in the Mediterranean basin, but to me uh, was more interested to uh, break an, uh, um, the, this um, 
tendency of literary studies to look for uh, conciliatory uh, images, uh, you know, uh, positive prototypes of, and instead, uh, why not focusing on the the conflictual nature of cultures and and their uh, interactions and growing together. Oh, that's great. And, and historically speaking, of course, there there's both, right? There are moments of conciliation and there are absolutely so many moments of conflict. And I think you really emphasize that that ambiguity in wonderful ways in the book. Uh, so you 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 divide uh, sort of your book in half between a history of criticism and exercises in criticism. And those exercises range from Inferno 28, the encounter with Muhammad, uh, to 17th century drawings on prison walls in Palermo. Uh, back to the medieval with a connection between Dante's Vita Nuova and Ibn Hazm's Ring of the Dove. Uh, So I thought we might talk uh, a little bit about the prison walls and uh, the book has has stunning images uh, in that particular chapter. Uh, What drew your attention to these drawings and what do you think uh, this kind of reception offers us uh, in the vein of thinking about Dante and the Mediterranean uh, in, in new ways? But that's a great question, and uh, um, um, I, I may start by uh, confessing uh, where the inspiration comes from. It comes from a a book, a um, uh, essay collection uh, that was uh, edited by uh, Giovanna Fiume and uh, Mercedes Garcia Renal, um, I think in 2018. Uh, it was a wonderful collection of uh, essays on those uh, uh, graffitis, and uh, I had uh, the uh, the honor of uh, honor after reading that of being the blind reviewer of of some of those essays, and it, it was it, it was a great reading, and um, I gave a really positive. Uh, uh, feedback, I think, on on, on those uh, readings. At the same time, uh, uh, while I was seeing these, and particularly those two uh, images um, of the uh, uh, Hellmouth that were portrayed on 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 two uh, cells at the ground floor of the prison of the Inquisition in the 17th century uh, Palermo. So there were these hellmouths with uh, um, references to the Divine Comedy and both visual uh, and textual. In particular, there is a reference to uh, the, 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 the Divine Comedy in, in one of the two. In Sicilian, uh, in Sicilian vernacular, um, and uh, I, I thought that uh, uh, as a as a literary scholar, if I may call myself th- that way, um, I uh, we could do uh, much more about those references to Dante in the prison because. As I, I, I found uh, uh, by reading their essays, but then also by looking around the prison, what was outside the prison, 
Dante is uh, uh, quoted several times in those prisons in indirect ways, in uh, um, Octave, in uh, um, Octaves, Sicilian Octaves, in, 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 uh, that were uh, written by uh, prisoners on the walls of the prison at the ground floor, but also on the um, first floor. Of the prison, there was much more than the, a literary scholar and a, someone interested in Dante could say about not only Dante but the culture that uh, produced those uh, um, uh, those quotes. That uh, um, so uh, I, I thought that. Uh, the, as a literary scholar, we, we, we are accustomed to work on texts and we have a way of working on them that is uh, paying attention to details, uh, paying attention to sources, pay attention to connections, uh, pay attention to the uh, paratext, to what is there, uh, surrounding that text, uh, uh, to uh, the different uh, contribution of different hands to, to a page or a manuscript. Um, to 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 the text as a as a um, uh, you know uh, as a very meaningful uh, um, artifact, um, and uh, what I think the those quotes um, from the Divine Comedy and uh, the the poetry inspired by uh, Dante that we find in, in those cells uh, talk talk about is a very intricate uh, connection that as i say in the book uh, leaves uh, very few walls uh, uh, intact for instance when we read uh, when we read uh, uh, those quotes from the Divine Comedy in uh, uh, vernacular Sicilian, we might think that that is a um, you know uh, a um, popular uh, kind of uh, uh, uncultivated uh, appropriation of the comedy, but we 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 soon realize that in reality that is uh, a very academic in the. Uh, 17th century sense of academias, no? so uh, places of uh, uh, gathering for uh, elites, uh, cultural elites and political elites, uh, religious elites in, in Italy and Europe at the time. So uh, Sicilian is not a language of the folk, it's a language of elites. And then uh, uh, we realize that uh, that images are working several hands that are sometimes even illiterate. Uh, so they learn uh, to write on that wall, on those walls. So, and another thing, uh, we have uh, people from very different backgrounds. Some of them are uh, converts. So Dante becomes a place of... Uh, a meeting place and with Dante um, we can connect for instance that prison to a ceremony or theater or drama, religious dramas uh, performances that were going on outside of the prison 
And some of those artifacts perhaps were not created inside the prison, but were in reality created in other places outside the prison and then uh, brought inside the prison. So all these uh, 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 kind of... uh, um, uh, subver- subversion, subversion of expectations that we find uh, wh- if we start paying uh, uh, very deep attention to the details of these quotes from Dante and connecting them to what is outside of the prison. That, that was, for, uh, to me, very interesting. And if I may, add, yes. Also, I think that, that this uh, um, need probably for literary studies to uh, operate in, uh, with an anthropological approach to texts. So you know, so our texts are also uh, to be understood uh, as an anthropologist would do. Absolutely, and I think that that chapter really. Uh, demonstrates the the merit of that kind of interdisciplinary work. So, and, you know, it's really striking. I mean, of course, Sicily is, is so uh, ripe a place for that kind of, of, of Mediterranean approach, that kind of cross-cultural emphasis, as well as uh, the, uh, the way of thinking about these, these various layers of, uh, of culture that are accumulated uh, from, from high uh, to the low. Uh, And then it also brought to my mind uh, the, the, the way in which Dante is, of course, very much taught in prisons uh, in the here and now. Uh, and and that, that too is something, right? I mean, there's something about that text that, uh, that, that really does uh, allow for this kind of connection to, to imprisonment uh, in a historical sense, as well as a contemporary one. Um, oh, definitely, there is a, uh, uh, from, from the very, but that is a, about more in general poetry, um, um, the, that has uh, re- religious inspiration, uh, religious and Christian um, metaphors often um, uh, refers to a life as a prison uh, so that there is a, a congeniality of the divine comedy and of religious poetry to the experience of imprisonment, and uh, it's true, yeah. And there are wonderful works um, now, as always. I, I cannot remember the name of uh, the, the the great colleague at Wesleyan and Yale that has been working on uh, on reading the Divine Comedy in the in the prisons, and uh, I apologize for that. <laughs> Let me see if I will find it. Yes, no, and and Ron, uh, Ron is wonderful. Yes, uh, and he's he's an incredible work. Well, but so I I think there's also something to be said maybe about the way in which you read Inferno twenty eight, the encounter with Muhammad. So I mean, this is this is one of those encounters that, uh, of course, has uh, really struck readers across the centuries. Uh, and has been very difficult. Uh, I can speak from personal experience. It's always a very difficult encounter to teach in the classroom uh, because it's a, it's it's truly a, a terrible and gruesome punishment that uh, the prophet is subjected to. And Edward Said, whom you mentioned earlier, uh, really bristled at the treatment of Muhammad in Inferno and uh, talked about uh, talked about Dante as as symptomatic of the kind of Orientalism that. 
that he was really trying to uh, elucidate and and fight against. Uh, so take us through a little bit of what you do with uh, this encounter and how you how you think about it uh, differently through your work. Yes. So, so, so yeah, as you said, that is the one of the uh, inevitable um, meeting points between Dante and Islam, if you want. So uh, scholars who try to uh, uh, discuss the connection, if not the supposed uh, sympathy of Dante for Islam, uh, finding that episode a a, a big um, uh, a big problem. <laughs> no, um, so and it's interesting. For, for instance, uh, the the way Asim Palacios, uh, the author of Dante and Islam, tries to avoid a full reckoning with that episode that. It's difficult to, from any perspective, to say that there is a, some form of sympathy for Mohammed uh, Maometto in uh, in uh, Dante's Canto. And yet, um, my interest was uh, to, given that uh, we are not looking for a uh, reconciliatory approach to uh, literary sources. But uh, probably we are not also, I'm not particularly interested also in kind of uh, punishing them or I'm not aiming at a purating, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the comedy from um, these forms of, uh, I wouldn't call it Orientalism because in my opinion, the Middle Ages offer kind of different dynamics uh, than those that were will will be displayed displayed uh, in following centuries and in uh, in uh, in, uh, in mature Orientalism. Uh, uh, but yeah, so uh, what um, what uh, my interest was in discovering and highlighting how. Uh, especially in those places where the conflict seems to be more uh, uh, open and um, unreconciliable. Uh, I'm not sure if this is an English word, but so uh, there is where you you might find uh, um, connections. Uh, Basically, the use of the same language and there is where you find that uh, uh, authors from Islam and from uh, Latin Christendom, they are working basically with the same uh, codes, uh, uh, cultural, religious codes. They are operating within the same uh, within the same uh, uh, text, if you want. Um, they references are the same, and that it was demonstrated is demonstrated as it's it's not me who is uh, who talks about this uh, for the first time. Uh, there is a scholarship on this that very interesting scholarship on this um, in the U.S. and in Europe, um, but um, 
it's interesting to verify that exactly in uh, um, negative uh, representations of the Prophet Muhammad, we have to recognize authentic Islamic sources operating. That is to say, these are not inventions uh, from Christian um, you know, apologetic authors or from you know, uh, uninformed uh, uh, authors. Uh, these are based on uh, uh, reading of uh, original sources in, in Arabic. Uh, there is a large a documented uh, awareness and uh, circulation of uh, Arabic sources in uh, Latin translation and later on even in vernacular translations. Uh, sometimes they are even read directly in Arabic, like in Ricoldo, uh, the Monte di Croce, or you know, Mark of Toledo, an old school of uh, Spain, Spanish school of translators. So, um, there is a lot of uh, awareness of original sources that are uh, kind of turned upside down and made negative. Um, so, my interest in, is in noticing that where you find uh, uh, opposition is where, in reality, they are the same. It's a sort of uh, uh, doppelganger, if you want, no? So uh, a recognizing uh, the same in, in, in the opposing, uh, in, in the opposing uh, textuality. And even uh, that, that is expressed in, in an exceptional form by that uh, episode uh, of the life of uh, the Prophet Muhammad in, uh, in the childhood, you know, that mystic, mystical episode of the opening of the, his breast, you know, the Sharh al-Assadr, uh, that uh, is uh, described uh, in um, popular and uh, in popular Islamic uh, literature in ways that is that are very close to the way uh, Dante uh, portrays the same uh, episode. Right, and, and in that regard, it's very interesting to, to think about how that could potentially be the uh, inspiration for not just Dante's treatment of Muhammad, but of that particular punishment for uh, the, the crime, if we want to call it that, of, of creating division uh, right, so thinking about the the connection between uh, the body, right, the body politic, the the religious body, and uh, and that act of of opening up, uh, I think is really is really fruitful. Yes, yeah, uh, I I mean also at that, at that point, uh, um, I I'm I'm interested not in. Uh, uh, to, uh, asserting that the important thing is the uh, the source, so I'm not looking for the Islamic source of that uh, episode, um, but instead I'm, I'm I'm also interested in questioning uh, our approach to um, these images in terms of sources, like a very positivistic approach, like if are we looking for the text that Dante read and copied 
it would be interesting to approach all this discussion in in a broader and broader ways like uh, they, these are really interconnected uh, textualities and it's not a, a surprise that a, an image that is so important in this Islamic um, spirituality, not uh, the, the orthodox Islamic spirituality, uh, could uh, be um, uh, so similar to an image that we find in the comedy because they are working with same materials, so to say. Right, that's great. So, uh, in thinking, you know, one of the one of the final chapters uh, is uh, exploring a possible comparison between Dante's Vita Nuova and the Ring of the Dove, uh, Muslim Spanish work, uh, and and this is really kind of an interesting way that you have of of emphasizing this working with the same material and yet coming to different results. Uh, so, in that chapter, you think about the modern reader. Uh, and certainly, I'm sure, are, are drawing on your experience in the classroom. Uh, and uh, you think about what we, as, as modern readers, might relate to better or more readily. Uh, and what do you think that this approach tells us about different aspects of the late medieval period and about reading across uh, the Mediterranean as you do? In, in, in approaching the Tauk al-Hamama by Ibn Hazm and the Vita Nova, which has not been the kind of the 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 main the the most the most uh, sought after connection between uh, Dante and the Islamic world. Um, uh, um, I was interested in reality uh, uh, the readership, contemporary readership uh, of so why at some point in the twentieth century. Uh, the Taukal Hamama, the, uh, the, the Dove's Necklace, uh, this uh, treatise on on love, uh, autobiographical treatise on, on, on love by Ibn Hazm, uh, Andalus writer, theologian, becomes so interesting to uh, European scholars, uh, Euro-American scholars. And uh, uh, so uh, it, it's uh, it, it's it's for me uh, a, a way to uh, to again see how a text uh, is always uh, wrapped into uh, the reception of it, and uh, it's difficult to read it uh, outside in a sort of a pure in vitro. Uh, um, a controlled atmosphere. No, there, there is never the text uh, outside its uh, the history of his, its reception, and uh, it it was interesting to think that also expectations that we might have, like Dante, is uh, theoretically more closer uh, to me as a uh, someone who grew up in Italy. Uh, Dante is less closer to me. Sorry as someone who grew up in Italy, then uh, Ibn Hazm, uh, in terms of, you know, uh, the, the, the approach to, to uh, eroticism, to gender and attraction, to, um, I find, you, we might find Ibn Hazm that is uh, 
a scholar from improperly saying medieval Islam, no Andalusian Islam, closer to uh, Roland Barthes, so to say, than is Dante, uh, the, in which we recognize uh, a very specific uh, evolution of our spirituality um, and of, you know, uh, Provencal poetry and becoming of it something else and uh, all the vernacular. So sometimes Ibn Hazm seemed to speak to us with the voice of a modern author. So it's interesting to think of these these paradoxes. Absolutely. No, it's fascinating. Uh, So, you know, speaking of evolution, uh, tell us a little bit about what's next. What are you working on now, now that the book is is, uh, a year old? uh, And uh, what is it it that's coming next? And how does it relate to to what you've done uh, in this wonderful volume? Yeah, it was. I was thinking of a possible question of this kind, and uh, um, I would start by by saying a little bit comically that uh, Dante is a little bit like uh, cigarettes for a smoker. You always say this is the last one, uh, uh, but then you you go back to it, and I'm afraid uh, I, I will go back to it. And particularly, um, I'm I'm now trying to think the um, of the image of the tree of life in uh, the commedia and some paradoxes that I find there and, and, uh, and then there is also an interest that I, I'm not sure I will be I will find the time to develop that is uh, how the metaphor of book uh, poetical poetry book that is in the divine comedy uh, is appropriated and resonates in uh, in um, Middle Eastern poetry, uh, particularly a group of poets that operated uh, after the Second World War in the Shear uh, magazine. And, but then there are bigger uh, projects that I have uh, on the horizon, and I hope to find the, the time and leisure to work more. Um, on them and one is uh, about uh, uh, Muslim and the Eucharist mm-hmm. in uh, medieval travel literature and uh, short storytelling novellas um, and uh, and another one is a project on the, the representation of Hagar and Ishmael as genealogical symbols of uh, the relationship between confessions in, in, in religious com- religious religions in the in the early modern period. Uh, Amazing! I, I think you've described uh, about ten books worth of material in in that. So we very much look forward to all that is to come. Andrea, thank you so very much for this. It was a real pleasure. Thank you to you for the patience.